0: motivation and inspiration are powerful tools that change and influence perspectives voices and projects that shape the world with all the negativity in the world it can be hard to find those rare and beautiful stories that tell of inspired spiritual activism and individual healing journeys walk the path with me dr trish Rosher, on the show heart change consciousness where we inspire listeners to take action towards a more just world. We'll hear from authors, change makers, influencers, activists, poets, filmmakers, and cultural workers who practice inspired spiritual activism and transform vulnerabilities into sources of strength. Heart Change Consciousness allows us to understand the world from different perspectives and highlights what is possible when we are fearless and open ourselves to our sole purpose and engage each other across boundaries. So let's self-heal and open the path to self-sovereignty. Heart Change Consciousness begins now. Hello, I'm Dr. Trish Rocher and host of Heart Change Consciousness. And thank you so much for being here with us today and listening in. Today I am here with independent vocalist and musician uh, Sunite Tomlinson to talk about her work in creating Mountains Way Sanctuary on her family land in Orford, New Hampshire, which is on uh, Abenaki land. Tonight is building this space with the intention of providing it as an offering for BIPOC folks or black indigenous people of color uh, to come to relax and recover from the daily lived effects of white supremacy in this country. Uh, Tonight is simultaneously offering facilitated workshops for white-bodied people to engage in a form of energetic reparations, uh, which we'll talk more about today, by undergoing the emotional labor of unlearning white supremacist uh, principles and logics through sustained reflection and dialogue with both white-bodied and BIPOC facilitators. Proceeds from these workshops uh, for white body participants go directly uh, to provide a form of reciprocity uh, and funding opportunities for respite and nourishment for BIPOC folks at Mountains Way on an as needed basis, um, in addition to more organized retreats. So I first met uh, Sunite when I attended a two-day Ally to Accomplice workshop at Mountain's Way last fall. Um, And before I went, we had a phone conversation and I knew just from that conversation um, that it would be a fit uh, based on the words that Sunite was using uh, and the energy that I could feel was infusing them, uh, especially in her vocalized desire to create a different kind of organizing space. Um, as Sunai told me then, the youth are on the front lines of the movements for racial justice, and they're doing a great job. Um, Sunite's vision is not to replicate this work um, or offer, you know, a corrective to it, but to offer an additional kind of space rooted in working across racial lines in an intentional, focused way. So Sunai's fire, coupled with her introspection and deep connection to spirit, offers a glimpse of what activism can look like in the service of spirit. Her vision holds an energetic blueprint of the type of world that is possible when we each take accountability for ourselves and our histories to co-create the world that we want to be living in and the world we want to pass on to those who come after. Um, so, Sunite, thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Oh, Wow. Uh, you got me all teary in your introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you are so welcome.
0: So, tonight I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, what I appreciated deeply about the Ally to Accomplice workshop that I attended last year to introduce listeners to some of your work and how you approach it. And also because I know that um, you're going to be offering more Ally to Accomplice trainings this this summer. Um, so instead of being, you know, sometimes we go to workshops and they're very rigid, right? There's like a very tight schedule like this and this and this, and then by the end, we'll like solve all the world's problems, right? And <laughs> <laughs> so what what I really appreciated was that the pace was very intentional and contemplative um, and very much focused on an embodied way of unlearning white supremacist logic. So the body was really front and center throughout all aspects. Um We sat in circle guided by white bodied facilitators who've been trained in conscious communication methods. uh, witness stories and perspectives shared consensually by BIPOC folks right and the consensually piece is really important um, who agreed to take on this form of emotional Labor for the purpose of the workshop. Um, and we also had downtime to kind of walk on the land and incorporate and reflect. Uh, we co-created our collective time together. We kind of decided as a group, what would be useful. Um, and there was a lot of collaborative thinking about next steps, both individually for us, HS as participants, and also um, as the collective. There was also a big focus on taking responsibility for ourselves in group. Um, and learning how to energetically take care of ourselves to be with what arose um, so that we could remain present for the long haul, right? So sometimes there's, um, there can be a lot of burnout. It, it's kind of um, uh, you know, fierce and fast uh, and, and people can get overwhelmed, but um, we were really encouraged to listen to our bodies so as someone who has spent some time in social justice realms the intentional slowing down and the active encouragement of participants to be with what was arising in our own bodies really showed me a path forward for activism done differently um, Mm -hmm. that that really allows for this deep sustained long-term engagement without the burnout and also um, an important unlearning of white supremacist capital logics that frame the body as a machine, right? As something to just kind of, for utilitarian purposes. Um, And of course, this logic is a primary way that we become disconnected from ourselves and forget that we even have bodies and that our bodies have wisdom in them. Um, It it also (laughs) offers a more conducive space for introverted and energetically sensitive people, right? We're kind of transmuting the energies and the density that's coming up in real time um, as these conversations are happening. So I just wanted to put that out there because I, I think that this is really um, a, a deep part of the the beauty of the containers that you're offering um, at Mountains Way. And also name that this is really difficult work to do, right? So when we're doing this kind of um, uh, collaborative cross-border work, there can be um, the kind of danger of erring too far on one side and having it turn into this kind of kumbaya, right? Like where the the difficult things are being avoided to to keep everyone comfortable and kind of feeling safe. And then erring too far on the other side, there can be... um, kind of a, a reenactment of p- policing logics that actually enforce a parallel, not the same by any means, but a parallel form of violence, right. To, um, you know, what it is we want to, uh, kind of usher out.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So I just, I wanted to put that forward and just, um, see your your thoughts on that because I, I know that's something that you've had to think about in creating these containers.
1: Well, definitely. I mean, I mean, just also in my own survival. So a lot of this has come out of just um or I mean, pretty much all of it has come out of um, work I was doing for myself, work that my friends, the my other black friends and I were doing together in the last ten years, really. Um, and that, yeah, the, it's, it is so important at this point, not to shy away from difficult places and difficult conversations. This is exactly like when it feels uncomfortable. Well, you know, this is exactly when we are really getting into the thick of what we should, and, how, and, and part of what we're trying to do is, is figure out how to um, recognize we all know that this is a need. How do we provide a safe space for that? How do we do that while also protecting our BIPOC folks from emotional labor that is not recognized? And how do we provide a place for our white? allies and accomplices to really work out what what needs to be worked out and this disembodiment this disassociation which is really what I think you know it, it all of this is stemming from deep systemic trauma because in the end we all come from indigenous people like all of us and so this disembodied trauma work is so powerful and I'm I'm very much um, a person who needs to have particular type of sensitivity and sensory um, sensitivity and also, like, freedom to, to work through things in ways that are not just about a classroom, about sitting down and writing things out and working things through, which is, again, as you had put so well, is part of this uh white supremacist patriarchal model that we're in. And I, I would add in capitalist yeah. in that. Um, and so we are we we are all very much struggling underneath this. I like to look at all these systems as energetic. Mm-hmm. You know, so the patriarchy affects men and women
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it affects us differently. This, the white supremacy affects black and white and other other folks as well, and all affects us differently, but all these energetic systems are, are really against all of our nature, and one of the things we're trying to do is figure out a way to provide the respite and care that black-bodied folks and brown-bodied folks need right now to just... Uh, regroup and find thriving as opposed to surviving part of their sentence of life and also how do we provide a a safe space for white-bodied folks who really do want to do this work to be able to do it safely as well. Mm -hmm. I -hmm. I think I answered.
0: (laughs) yeah and i i really appreciate you talking about how these systems are energetic right because i think a lot of people um you know will will engage uh mentally right there's like kind of an intellectual disconnect um but once we really tap into our bodies you know there's there's so much trauma again experienced differently and on different uh kind of sides of of the power line of course um but in these systems we all lose right and when we can understand that these systems are energetic and so therefore they are operating energetically in us um then it becomes imperative that we address the the body and the energy body right not just the physical body but the energy body the heart um so that we can really kind of extract these um uh internalized energies that aren't ours and that that do keep us from uh entering into sovereignty exactly
1: exactly and 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 uh, so you you brought up something so beautifully so if we are four percent matter yeah (laughs) in all how we feel solid yeah then the rest is this energetic piece and also how do um I have two links to a couple podcasts that I will share or I'll share later as well on any of these feeds that, um, one of the, one of the pieces that's brought up is like how, especially with white bodied folks, because we need y'all so much right now, you know, we really need white folks to, Go towards their own culture and really do this energetic emotional labor. Um, what what does it look like to really look into this? Right? And and where 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 do we give ourselves these loopholes to get out of something where we're like, well, it just doesn't feel right? Like, of course, okay, the majority of white bodied people do not want to burn black bodies. Bodies or string them up in a tree. But there are all of the systemic pieces that are coming out of this energetic framework, which is really around like a small group of people in power over a larger group of people who actually have the power, which has been going on for millennia. Um, so what does it look like when when white-bodied folks who we need so much, who actually are in this kind of middle range. Mm -hmm. They're not Trump supporters. They're not, you know, and they're they're feeling like they're good people. So I I, I don't think I am actually racist. Like, how do we get to those places where we're like, well, this is a system that is racist and there is no way to escape it on either side. Mm -hmm. There is a purity in being uh, a person who is marginalized in the sense that you can be like, this is problematic, don't do this to me, or this is wrong. But there is no conversation about what happens when you are the person who is benefiting from that structure. Right. Regardless of what your heart or your religion or whatever else tells you.
0: Yeah, and I and I think that these um, offerings are really important because there are a lot of white-bodied folks who do understand intellectually who have this understanding of like I'm a good person, but don't haven't done the the embodied work, haven't done the heart work, haven't really looked into ancestry. Again, if we're thinking energetics, that that karmic piece, that that ancestral inheritance is in our fields. Um, who, who also don't know kind of where to look for the tools to do that deeper work. And because it, it is very scary to do that work and kind of unlearn who you've been taught, you know, who, who you thought you were. And, you know, we talk so much about social privilege, which obviously it is, but it often comes with cultural and energetic poverty, right, of, of not knowing who you are, of not tapping into your body. Um, exactly. Not knowing your disassociation.
1: Answer. Like a yeah. it's, it's a, it, like, um, spiritual energetic lineage form of disassociation that is, I believe so much part of why there is this framework at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to, we're going to get deeper into this in a little bit, but tonight I'd love if you could, um, just share with us more a sense of who you are and some of your journeying that brought you, um, to, to do this work. We'll we'll say, um, more full time. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you pivot from music to offering these workshops at mountains way? Um, what drives this work for you? Um, and then also some of your upcoming offerings and, and the vision that you're holding for this work. Yes.
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, from music into activism. Well, I believe art is activism in general. And I... So I was born and raised in Manhattan. My father is from Ethiopia. My mom is a British Isles background and settler colonialist family. And... But I was very, we were very much raised in our Ethiopian culture as much as, uh, yeah, the rest of the cultures that were happening in Manhattan Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the mid 70s and early 80s. So from there, yeah, I really wanted to be a musician. So I played music. I got into like um, community work when I dropped out of college at 19 and joined AmeriCorps program. And so that was like, so sort of the beginning of being like, okay, there's this balance between an intellectual world and the physical world of, of assistance and community work. And then, uh, so had a number of years that I was like independently on my own out West doing music, doing my own thing. And eventually ended up back on the East coast uh, as my father was um, diagnosed and dying as we found out later from an aggressive form of Alzheimer's up in Northern New England. So through a a, a bunch of different circumstances, like I ended up being here full time. And in that I started playing music up here and it was uh, really hard. It got increasingly hard. It got increasingly hard um, in the last like 15 years as we've getting we've been um, having all of these videos coming out of police killings of black people, of indigenous people, the missing murdered indigenous women, like just all over the country. And I'm here in this very white area that does not want to deal with in any way what's going on in the rest of the country, what's going on in the rest of the world and, and this kind of self-congratulatory way that Vermont and New Hampshire in the Northern ends, and I'm sure Maine as well mm-hmm. are like, well, we don't have these problems here. Well, no, you don't because you know, the indigenous people that are here are pushed out to the sides if they even know who they are. There's very few black people. And so I would be performing and making very little money and having this like these images burned into my mind of all of these murders when when like before it was trauma porn when it was just like no one even cared right so we would i would mm-hmm. just go out and play this music and understand the what african people have done for like what we think of as american music which is the most like popular form of popular music in the world because of the African influence that's really hard and put up all my PA, run the sound and then play for a whole bunch of white folks who really don't care that we just had another lynching. Yeah. But they do really like to see us on screen or on the basketball court or on a video or playing in a bar or appropriating the music that that's coming out of tragedy and grief. So I got to a place with a couple other folks that I knew that were artists, Black artists in the area, and we would just kind of have these wakes. Like we would just get together and we'd weep and we would be angry and we would look through stuff and we would try to find a way to uh, put our grief as what you know this is why this music is so beautiful why our art is so beautiful is transmute it into something like you, you you take nothing and or worse than nothing and create something from it and then from there recognizing that this is a battle of endurance what do we need to do at this point to recognize or to be able to feel safe enough to take a break to uh you know recharge our own personal physical energetic batteries so to speak to be able to then continue to go forth because so my daughter is 13 i don't think this is going to be done in her lifetime if we have a planet still so I started getting into this in a, in my own self care and my own self healing, to be able to find ways that I could maybe uh, provide, like just be a frontier person in the sense of saying, okay, well, if we recognize logically that this isn't going to end anytime soon, and we have all this work to do, what is it that we need to do to be able to sustain ourselves to move from survival mode to thriving as well where do we get the rest what is it that i need and you know in that sense (laughs) i'm trying to provide what i've been looking for Mm -hmm. like what i would need right now
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's um that's often the path right when uh when kind of from our own wounds and experiences and lessons when we get some tools uh, and do some of that healing uh, that next step, which is really our responsibility and our soul calling is to provide those tools um, and offerings to others so that they don't have to kind of suffer in the same way. Yeah. So, so can you tell us a little bit more, um, just about what offerings you are providing right now, um, how you're thinking about it, um, like what it, what it looks like. So our listeners can just kind of have an understanding of, of more of the logistics and tangible pieces of this work. Awesome,
1: yeah, I have two workshops that I'm running this summer. Um, these came out of really trying to put together a BIPOC, black, indigenous, person of color, people of color, retreat space last in the interdependence day we'll call it on the 4th of July (laughs) um and a, a lot of white folks showed up and there was a lot of like issues so um it it seemed to be it seemed to make sense like I got enough donations from a weekend where it was supposed to be mostly black and indigenous folks that showed up where it was all white mostly white men who showed up And then um, a couple supporting allies and accomplices that that were there as well. And we got donations from that enough to pay it forward, you know, through word of mouth for um, some now very good friends of mine from Ecuador to come and have respite and do ceremony on the land, which brought me to these workshops. So the first one has to do with... um, death midwifery and basically being able to uh help and walk people through transition spaces whether it's a physical death or not and this is with opayami Parnum and um marie keppel and the premise of these and then i have another workshop with renee and her friend jessica and renee is a performance artist and she is going to be, oh, I, I can't, I'm not even going to paraphrase this properly. I'll, I will give you the links and then y'all can look <laughs> them up because everybody who is doing these workshops is writing this better than I am going to speak it. The whole premise of this is that we have, um, especially up in, in Northern New England, where we have a lot of like anti-racism workshops going on where you don't have BIPOC folks running them. Mm -hmm. that i always have having bipoc facilitators and white facilitators and these are for white-bodied people though any of the bipoc family and friends of anyone who's participating or facilitating can come and just enjoy the land enjoy our meals with us that the idea is that we will be holding space in active listening in the beginning of every session, morning and afternoon for BIPOC facilitators to do whatever they're gonna do. So Miami has a bunch of skits ready for all of us, which I will be participating in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then um, Renee, the whole thing she's doing is her whole performance piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, the BIPOC facilitators get to leave. This is part of active listening unless they actually actively direct the workshop participants to respond or ask some questions. No one's allowed to speak to them about what they brought. And then the white facilitators take it over in order for this to be also a safe space for white-bodied folks to be able to unpack what they need to do. And um, I'm Ethiopian, so I, the, the food component of these retreats is very important for me. I've been working really hard to make sure I have very limited p- participants in the in the actual workshops themselves, because what I like to do, what I believe and what is part of like my cultural tradition is that if your soul and if your body is nourished and your spirit can find its nourishment too. So there's a grounding in the physical body that is so hard for white bodied folks in white communities to actually have uh, experience with. I hope I'm answering you properly. It's so this is such a work in progress. And what I'm really trying to do with these workshops is have the facilitators really create it under these kind of structures.
0: Yeah. And, and I, that was what I was just going to pull out because I think that's so beautiful that you create the container, right. And, and kind of create this, um, space for the offering, but then the facilitators decide how they want to fill that container. And and you're very hands off in that, which I think is amazing. And, and also just how uh, organic this has been. Um, When we come back, we'll talk (laughs) a little bit more just about, you know, it it does take courage to do um, activism differently, you know, and to enter into a new space, um, and just try things with without necessarily a blueprint for it, just based on kind of what happens and what kind of you intuitively feel is needed in that moment. And um, my experience has been that that's really what you're doing here. And that's part of what makes it so very powerful is that it's just this very organic unfolding based upon who's
1: there and what needs to happen. Exactly. The co-creation I've been, I've been like kind of a supporting organizer for a bunch of different um camps and groups and friends and what i've noticed is is that as organizers like everything just tends to separate so much and then if we can come together we have to, we do have to have like this balance of enough of a framework to work underneath mm-hmm. but it is also really important within that framework which keeps us feeling safe <laughs> you know, is this kind of ability to look at who we are individually coming into any particular group. Yeah, beautiful.
0: Thank you so much, Sunite. We're gonna take a short break. Um, and we, when we come back, we're gonna talk more specifically about reparations um, and different ways of understanding reparations and understanding um, an energetic take on reparations. And also, Sunite's um, take on why nourishment and radical hospitality for BIPOC folks is so important and imperative to this work. Uh, so please come back for the second half of Heart Change Consciousness after
1: this break. Hi, I'm Patricia McNair, host of Divine Guidance with Patricia, and I'm here to help you live a more authentic, spiritually connected life. Join me every first and third Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Being who you are in everyday life is the key to unlocking soul wisdom within that our whole self already knows. Get ready to embrace your spiritual, mental, and emotional well-being, your whole being. Discover your gifts and strengthen your connection to spirit. We will explore earth guidance, divine truth and love, past life lessons, and so much more. So listen in to Divine Guidance with Patricia and join in your personal adventure to triggering, opening, validating, and being all that you are. For more information about me, visit divineguidance.earth. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back. Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff. Just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.
0: Transition, simultaneously the most difficult and vital part of the human experience. Without change, how would we grow? Tune in to Grounding into Your Radiance with Stacy Barber every second and fourth Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Step into your truth and allow the light into your life. For more information about Stacy and her services, visit StacyBarber.com. That's Stacy S-T-A-C-I-E Barber.com. Hello, and thank you for staying with us at Heart Change Consciousness. I'm here today with Sunite Tomlinson of Mountain's Way Sanctuary, talking about the importance of respite for BIPOC folks uh, and how it can be understood as uh, a form of reparation, so these energetic um, reparations. So uh, Sunite, before we delve back into our conversation, can you just let our listeners know how they can get in contact with you um, and learn more about some of these workshops we've been talking about?
1: Right. So right now, the best place to find me is on either Facebook uh, through my Sunite Tomlinson page, which will be spelled out for you. I think I'm I'm, I think I'm the only one that is (laughs) on the planet that is Yankee and Ethiopian Um, and also through my Gmail account, which is Sunite with two T's at Gmail. And, uh, yeah, so those are the best ways to find me and I get back to everyone as, as quickly as possible. Yeah. Thank you.
0: All right. So I want to make sure that we have, um, time to get into a conversation about reparations and a more in-depth conversation about it. Cause there's lots of conversations happening about racial reparations. And I know that this is something you're, you're thinking deeply about, um, and these, um, Respite and retreat and workshop spaces that you're offering um, are kind of your offering, right? A, a, an understanding of energetic reparations. So, oftentimes conversations of reparations focusly uh, solely focus on economic reparations, and and obviously under white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, this is really important and vital. Um, and uh, as as your work suggests, it doesn't need to be the only way of of conceiving of reparations. Um, so I, I also know that the land. Um, uh, in addition to the the kind of human uh, reciprocity and energetic reparations, is an important container for this work. And so, I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit more about the nuanced ways you're thinking about reparations and and what this really means to you. Some of the questions that you're thinking through.
1: Right. So, one of the links that we'll share with you all are from podcasts that I that. Are really good beginnings of a rabbit hole to get into, and in all these. And uh, the definition of reparations are making amends of wrong one has done to other people or another person by monetary amends or otherwise. And so we're looking at the otherwise part because there's a lot of conversations on reparations, and in the mainstream, in the mainstream dialogue around it really has to do with money and it has to do with you know how much money who's going to get it and then again the sort of like racist dialogue on you know if we're going to give all this money away like people better spend it properly all of that i i believe that the reparations are deeper than that and one of the things as in addition to providing this on the land are is actually this Space for white-bodied folks to have a way to provide reparations that is that that are actually very direct.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, one of the things, like I'm, I'm ooh, a quarter of the way through medical apartheid, I can only take it a little bit at a time because it's, it's mm-hmm. so triggering and intense and just beautifully written and very dense. So um, there's so much in what i have been talking to with you know my my black sisters especially of how hard it is for us to not only say we, we need help but then be able to go out and get help and then feel safe in that ask mm-hmm. so one of the things i'm really trying to do with this we so my parents, my mo- my mother and father met um, a year after Love Versus United States. Wow. So a year before they actually knew each other, it would have been illegal for any of us to be in existence or for them to be together. So they, they, um, when I was six months old in 1975, they bought 200 acres in unceded Abenaki land in New Hampshire in the foothills of the White Mountains. So I am working really hard in terms of I, I know this is really powerful ceremonial land, like it was definitely a gathering place for people in how everything is situated in our southern exposure, even though we're in the mountains, that I'm I really would like to honor the original inhabitants and users of that land or stewards mm-hmm. uh, to provide this spiritual energetic care that radical hospitality is uh, providing something that just is so extremely welcoming that you can't help yourself and also have it be provided by brown and black people and come to a place that you feel safe in come to a place that you can wade through the trump signs that are still up on my road and still up in the community at large here on the New Hampshire and Vermont side to be able to reconnect with the land, to receive nourishment in terms of food. And just um, the rest is what keeps being so important, being able to take a deep breath. I have a whole, uh, like a lot of folks who end up coming for respite on the land and they want to do all these things and they end up sleeping for a number of days, which makes me feel happy. They sleep, eat, sleep, eat, sleep, eat, and actually is such the indication of, yeah, the 10 years less of like life expect- expectancy that we have as Black and Indigenous people of color, the um, traumas that we receive in the hands of the medical world, in the hands of, you know, like the school institutions and in every other place where you're always an other, or it's just set up enough that you're definitely aware.
0: And I'm, I'm thinking, um, uh, when we talked before you said something about how nourishment needs to come before pleasure right? Like before <laughs> before you can even open to the possibility of, of pleasure, um, right? That, that just nourishing what is and kind of meeting those basic needs and feeling um, safe enough and also worthy enough to have that container and that space to do that work. Because, because it is it's soft, vulnerable work receiving nourishment, right? Especially if if there's been um, a culture that's actively gaslighted, denied that and told you that you are not worthy of it. Um, and so, tonight, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more just about the centrality of nourishment. Um, and you like to use the term radical hospitality, which I, I um, and why this is so important to the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, well, so I, I'll, I'll talk about it I guess a little historically, personally historically, in terms of my father, who uh, came here in the early 60s. He was born in 1932 in Ethiopia, and came here in the early 60s, um, and ended up uh, the New York director of the New York Office of the World Food Program, uh, working with food insecurity. But it's also very much part of the Ethiopian culture. It's a very... um, Mm -hmm dignified, distant culture in a sense, but food is primary. One of the, the way that we eat traditionally is all together in a big plate and we go around feeding each other as a sign of respect and no one, no one is turned away in this, in, in this format. And so um, I, I feel like the love and joy is like kind of, I mean, I guess for probably most folks, if you think about like water for chocolate Mm where where you have food that you are making that is just like filled with prayers and filled with whatever energy that you're in at that moment. And I do everything from scratch and I love taking care of people's like dietary needs, especially when it, it, it is such a thing of shame for most folks. And also, so it's not just the, the need or the asking or the worth of it, it's even the ability to relax enough to, you you may know you're worth it. I know I'm worth it. I should be able to have this, but can I relax enough? Do I feel comfortable enough to just allow someone else to like, to just like walk to an outdoor kitchen and then lunch is set up and not have to think about, like you didn't have to necessarily pay, You didn't necessarily have to do anything. You just had to make sure we knew that you could have the beautiful Vermont cheese or not or whatever else we're offering. Um, That feeling of, yeah, the quiet of safety to be able to accept and receive care and accept and receive energetic healing, which I'm also offering for Bipoc folks, in terms of the healing work I do um, in my studio, as you know, that is really about. You can come here, and a, I'm not going to make any comments about your skin or your hair. I'll also know how to, you know, do cranial work without messing up your braids or your dreads or whatever. But also, really, just this, just this feeling of being able to relax and and know that, like, you don't, you can just receive you can let go of those things and this is I believe is what's killing so many BIPOC folks so early like we are dying because we are not able to rest we we don't have much time to relax again whether we understand that we're worthy of of healing worthy of nourishment worthy of um just um yeah the radical hospitality in terms of general care for that body yeah
0: yeah and i'm thinking of um and we mentioned it last show um uh joe osias was on and she's done some work with the nap ministry right but the nap ministry is making a very political statement about how um rest for bipoc folks is a form of reparations and is very very necessary and um, i agree and, and that so i mean that that receiving um yeah and and i appreciate that um e- even if one uh knows right that you're worthy there's also just this like how
1: <laughs> yeah how, right? and like, like, how do you how feel do I... comfortable yeah how, like i yeah. i have so again all these things are things i'm doing because it's stuff that i haven't been able to find myself yeah how do i relax enough to have the ability to receive and these are the reparations so i'm glad you brought us around and you are doing that in in your very beautiful way uh that reparations in terms of the mainstream dialogue has to do with money but the reality of reparations is that it has to do with education it has to do with healing it has to do with places and accessibility to healing and alternative ways of healing and the recognition that in so many communities that there is a, there is this ongoing history of um, just actual horrible usage by medical and political and every other in like industrial complex you can think of and and it it feels like it's it's just such an easy way to be like well we can't just give every black person in the United States X amount of money, which is, of course, not even talking to the indigenous people of this country about the reparations of the stolen land. Mm-hmm. But that's like a whole other podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that in these places that it, it can be so easily blown off. Oh, well, we can't do this. Well, actually, you can't because you could actually educate yourself by taking a workshop that does pay it forward to the facilitators and other people, or find these ways of, in a sense, anonymously doing this. Like you do your work and you don't do it for virtue signaling. You do it for the actual reality that, you know, there are people that have been suffering for so long, for so many generations under these systems, it doesn't take away from anyone else's suffering, but actually means that like, uh, in one of these podcasts, what did she say? She said, it's like, you know, it's this idea of black ex. like we always have to be so much better and still fail. Mm-hmm. And, and that creates like, we, if people in this sort of, uh, larger white culture are obsessed with the looting and rioting and, and things like that, then that is the biggest time to then really reflect on what you're expecting people who have nothing and no care and no rest and no ability to move outside of anything on the basis of their race, not intelligence, not class, not anything else, right? On the basis of race what that means for that if 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 people do not want this country to go down in flames i believe that what we really need to do is is make big strides forward to do this type of respite work or the paying it forward for black and indigenous people of color to actually be able to utilize and find these safe spaces to receive care and be able to start um feeling like we are loved
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we're and not just worthy in our own sense but that we are cared for in our community
0: yeah and that care work right i mean care work is a is a big um uh part uh of of the social justice movement that's really getting more attention now i'm thinking tonight about um how, of course, in a white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, uh, reparations would be reduced to economics and solely economics, right? Because <laughs> <Totally>. thinking, thinking <laughs> about things energetically or reciprocity or just collaborative, cooperative exchanges of giving and receiving, um, that's not really on the radar. Everything's kind of based in this very contractual um, uh uh, mindset and modality. I'm wondering, um, tonight, before we run out of time, can you just name the podcasts? Because I think we
1: have the visuals of it. Yes. Yeah, so um, the two podcasts that are really good and they, and they, they both have, um, you know, conversations with folks who are doing other podcasts. So you can just really dive into this. The first one is Code Switch. And the one that I really love on the code switch in general is great because they, I, I found it, my partner sh- uh, turned me onto it during the last election. And I was finding that it was like all the questions, like all the questions on semantics, mm-hmm. all the things that I'm still looking to understand, also being like a Gen X or like post racial. Mm-hmm generation um that the young people are really teaching me about like really all the things I'd think about but I'm in a white area and I can't really talk to anyone about asterisks and mm-hmm. then the other one is resistance and I would just say it's a it's it just started I would just listen to all of them um mm-hmm. and those those are both NPR uh sponsored podcasts and they're they're very they're, they're awesome, and I. I think that it is so important to really like, as you were saying, the, the conversation about reparations in terms of money is a really easy way to dismiss the whole way we need to restructure things. If we don't want, if people want the status quo to remain, mm-hmm. I mean, because it's basically two ways. It's either going to burn down one way or it's gonna burn down the other way. So if you actually want it to, um, so you can still have your Walmarts and all your things, then you probably wanna look into these other ways to uh, recognize what's happening in the rest of the culture around you.
0: Yeah, and and I think just to kind of bring it back that as things are burning and, and crumbling, right? These old structures, they really are crumbling, um, care and nourishment, um, and really checking in with our bodies. These are, these are tools and ways for kind of navigating all of these energetic shifts because everybody, again, regardless of your, your, um, social positionality, right? The structures are crumbling and and we are entering into, um, this new space um so and
1: yeah yeah no and the food like the ways we look into our own communities close by ourselves I think is is vital how do we nourish each other where you can actually look across the street and see somebody
0: yeah Tonight, we are almost out of time. Um, if you just have, if you want to remind people how to get in touch with you, because we didn't get to talk about it, but you also do healing work, you do sessions with people, um, and you have these upcoming workshops in June and July. If you want to just share before we.
1: Yeah, so you can find me as Tonight Tomlinson on Facebook, and we'll remind you of the spelling of my name and everything. Um, And I can always be found on the personal message there or through my Gmail account, which is tonight with two T's as in Sunite Tomlinson at Mm -hmm. Gmail as well. And yeah, I'm also just totally open for folks who just wanna have conversations about this. And um, we're trying to really build a network where uh, we have lots of ways to not just say, y'all need to do this, but be like, y'all need to do this and, and here.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Heart Change Consciousness on TransformationTalkRadio.com with me, Dr. Trish Derosher. Make sure to come back next time so we can continue to awaken your soul purpose. Look forward to more conversations with your favorite authors, change makers, influencers, activists, and many more who practice inspired spiritual activism and transform vulnerabilities into sources of strength. For more information about me and transformative consciousness coaching, visit transformativeconsciousness.com. That's transformativeconsciousness.com. This was Heart Change Consciousness on transformationtalkradio.com.